you share today. You need this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kimball. And um, yeah, thank you, church. It's, it's actually such a delight to, to come back. Um, I'm seeing some familiar faces, and I'm seeing many new faces, which is a delight. And so uh, I'm, I'm encouraged to share. Um, Kimball shared a little bit about where I'm coming from. And, and just before I begin in our time opening the word this morning, I just wanted to share a little bit of a ministry update. What's been happening uh, down in Australia? Why did we leave Canada to go back to Australia? Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to give you a little bit what, what's happened over the last couple of years. So Kimball mentioned um, that, yes, uh, I serve as a principal at Cape and Ray in Australia, if you're, fam- if you're familiar with Cape and Ray. Uh, Cape and Ray is part of uh, uh, the Torchbearers Global Ministry, uh, 25 different Bible schools um, uh, scattered around the world. And, and, uh, and so we're a, we're a small school, um, max out about 45 students, but we get lots of Canadians come. Actually, some semesters, we, we get 70% of our students from Canada. And so Canada's holding down the fort, which is awesome. Um, but there's been a lot of growth uh, in the school over the last little while. Um, you can kind of see some of the students there um, on the top. Uh, is, uh, is one of our students named Seth. Uh, he, he was one of seven students who got baptized. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, one of eight students who got baptized this year. Um, so it's really special to see uh, young people come hungry for the Lord and growing in their relationship with Jesus to a degree that they want to declare that publicly. And, and we live stream that, and it's a really special moment for, for them, of course, but also for their church uh, and their family back home. Um, so at the Bible school, we, we call the program BDM, uh, Bible Discipleship and, and Mission or, or Ministry. And so those are the three main focuses. And so our BDM program is growing really well, which is amazing. So we're grateful for the Lord and uh, for that. Um, but in 2025, we're actually changing up some things. Uh, we're introducing two new programs. Uh, I was over in South Korea speaking at a youth camp over there, and the ministry director, he, he asked me, if we teach English in Australia, and we barely speak English in Australia, so I don't know if that was a good question or not, um, but I said, well, no, but what do you mean? And he, he, he came back to me and said, well, we have lots of these South Korean young people who want to serve in the mission field, but they need to strengthen their English-speaking ability. Uh, they need to train their English before they can go and, and share the gospel uh, amongst the nations. And so we want to send them to an English-speaking country. Could Australia be that? And, and I said, well, how many are you thinking, like four or five? He said, no, like 40 or 50. I'm like, well, okay, we barely have that many beds total, but um, let me go back and do some homework. So long story short, we're starting a new program uh, called BDE, or Bible Discipleship in English, where young people come from around the world, yes, South Koreans, but um, South Americans, uh, people from Africa, will be able to come in and grow in their relationship with Jesus, study the Word of God, and prepare uh, their English for whatever God has for them, whether that's the mission field or whatnot. So the Bible school is going really well. We've got an amazing team. Uh, I'm humbled uh, by the, the faculty and the staff that we have, and it's amazing to see God change lives uh, at Cape and Ray. One of the other things that I'm doing is I also direct a ministry called Teen Street. Uh, Teen Street is uh, OM's youth movement. If you're familiar with OM or Operation Mobilization, uh, Teen Street is, uh, is the youth movement of OM. And uh, we have a, a youth camp, or a series of youth camps in Australia that we, um, that we run. Um, and uh, COVID wasn't great for many of us. Uh, it wasn't great for a lot of ministry, but for Teen Street, it was amazing uh, in hindsight. Um, at the time, it wasn't fun because we had to go online. And so prior to COVID, we had about four or five events uh, globally. Um, and then when we went online, all of these fields were globally tuned in and, and thought, can we do this in our home country? And we said, sure. 
And so it went from five events to 45 events. And so we went from five countries to 45 countries. And there are actually 20 other countries on the wait list wanting to use, to run Teen Street in the context. And, and the team have had to say, no, um, we're going to have to push pause and actually do this well. Uh, because if, we, if we're not careful, this thing could get out of hand. And so um, there's uh, about three or 4,000 teenagers in Germany who are part of Teen Street. Uh, in Australia, we've just launched our second event in, in Melbourne. Um, if you know anything about Australia or the current spiritual climate in Australia, Melbourne, Melbourne is like the belly of the beast. Uh, that's where it's, it's the hardest ground. It's the, it's the most liberal, progressive uh, city in Australia. And so that's where <laughs> the Lord opened up a door. And so we're, we're taking Teen Street to the belly of the beast. Um, but we're seeing amazing things. Teenagers come to Jesus. Teenagers uh, share their faith. Um, there are two teenagers who met at Teen Street and on the train ride home, they had just done a, a mission simulation where they'd practiced sharing their faith with people in a refugee camp. Now, they were actors, and that was a scenario that we'd created, but they got on the train ride home, and they said, well, let's do this for real. And so these two teenagers who'd never met before Teen Street, who were on the same train ride home, they said, let's start telling people about Jesus. And so the first person they, person they talked to was actually a Christian, uh, and so that was kind of like, dang, let's keep going. And so the second person they talked to was a Muslim, uh, and so they got to share, their, share the gospel, share their faith uh, with a Muslim, um, which is incredible. And, and they shared all the way up to the train. And so it just humbles me, blows me away. Um, the potential of teenagers and the power of the gospel is phenomenal. And so um, don't overlook teenagers. Don't overlook teenagers. The Lord has turned the world upside down through teenagers time and time again. Sometimes teenagers can teach us a thing or two about faith. And so Teen, teen Street's been amazing. Um, uh, uh, one more quick story. Um, we had a, a young person named Lachlan uh, come to Teen Street. He gave his heart to Teen Street in Australia. Uh, he then met his now wife uh, at Teen Street. Um, another, a year later, he, he responded to the call to missions. He went on a short-term missions trip. Um, and then he came back, and when they got married, they together went to Albania as long-term missionaries, and now they've started Teen Street in Albania. And we got to do a live stream where we connected uh, a computer in Albania and a computer in Australia at two Teen Streets happening at the same time, and we got teens to talk to each other with interpretation and translation, but it was phenomenal. The world just got really, really connected all of a sudden in a really powerful way, and they got to disciple each other. There's this one moment where one of the teens in Australia got on the microphone and said, what's it like being a Christian in Albania? Is it hard? And one of the teens, after translation, said, yes, it's very hard. We get persecuted a lot for being a, a Christian. And then one of the, the, the Australian teen leant forward and said, well, what's that like? What's it like for your faith if you get persecuted for your faith? And then the teen in Albania leant forward and said, it's hard, but it's amazing. And the room in Australia just shook. We don't expect that response. It's, it's, it, persecution's not a good thing, but what it does to your faith is phenomenal. And so these teenagers in Australia, they weren't scripted. This wasn't like the youth pastor giving them like directions on what to say. This is teenagers who've never known anything else saying that this kind of persecution is intensifying our faith, strengthening our faith, and making us stronger and more faithful to Jesus. And our Australian teens didn't know what to do with that. And so that's powerful. And it's continued to roll on. And so Teen Street's growing uh, globally, which is amazing. 
Um, the last kind of update um, is I'm also serving uh, part of um, a team of uh, Gospel Advancing Revolutionaries this is kind of like a crazy uh, dream team that I'm humbled and honored to be a part of. Um, these guys are ministry leaders around the world in Africa, uh, South Africa, Kenya, America, and, and myself in Australia. And um, we're a network or a fellowship. I, I think of like the Fellowship of the Ring. Does anybody like Lord of the Rings? You remember the Council of Elrond, where Frodo's like, I'll take the ring to Mordor, and Aragorn's like, you have my sword, and, and Legolas, and my bow, and Gimli's, and my axe. So it's, like, it's kind of like that, where um, we, we want to reach one billion teens with the gospel through a friend. And then all these ministry leaders are like, you have my resources, you have my team, you have my skill set, you have my whatever, you have my database, and so Word of Life, uh, Sun Life, Go Live Dare, and Cape and Ray, Teen Street, Torchbury's, we kind of like team up, and so my goal in the next uh, couple of years is to raise up 3,000 gospel advancing leaders in Australia uh, to reach 300,000 uh, teenagers in Australia with the gospel. So love your prayer, these are big audacious goals, um, but it's not, these are not silly numbers, these are God's numbers, and I'm really excited, and so we'd love your prayers for that. Um, so yeah, we're just getting started, which is awesome. So as a family, though, we're doing really well. Um, we've got two young girls, Zara and Scylla, um, and life at Cape Henry, uh, is, is is beautiful. It's challenging. Our life is, is on display. We live on site at the Bible school, and so we, our, our door is always open. Students are always in our home, and so they see us parent. They see us our marriage, they see our personal lives, and so we don't get to hide behind closed doors. And so um, we, we do have some boundaries, but um, our life is on display, which is uh, challenging but beautiful at the same time. And so, yeah, we, we're enjoying life in Australia. It's really great to be back in Canada for a whole month and getting to be here and serve you guys in this way. So, um, yeah, without further ado, I want to pray, and then we'll get into our time this morning. I'm not going to preach for an hour, I promise, uh, but I just want to highlight some things, and, uh, and we'll, we'll discover more about Christ together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, you are good. You are God, and you are good at being God, and we love you. We thank you for this season. We thank you for this family. We thank you for this church, this spiritual family, um, and I ask that as we open up your word together that you would speak that we'd recognize your voice as your voice, that your voice doesn't have an Australian accent. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. May, we, may our hearts be receptive to what you have to share. May you be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, um, we're going to continue through the Advent series that you have been walking through. Um, we're picking up in Luke chapter 2. The passage was read for us this morning, which is beautiful. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just to highlight a couple elements that, of, of the passage that we read. So we're looking at Luke chapter 2. 25 to 35, looking at the character of Simeon. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open that uh, journey with us. But if, you know, if not, we have the passages on the screen, of course. But um, really, there's three uh, aspects of this journey that we're going to look at in brief account. The first is the setup. Now, we don't know a lot about Simeon. We don't know a lot about his backstory. But what we do know in Luke's description of him, we, we learn two things. We learn the first thing that he had a sensitivity to the presence of the Spirit of God. He had a sensitivity to the presence of the Spirit. And secondly, because of his love for God, he was blessed with the promise that he would not see death before he had seen 
life. That he would see the light, the life of the world before, that he, would, before he would ever experience death. And, and, and that's in verse 26. Luke 2, 26 says, It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Then in verse 27, there is a fascinating and powerful phrase. In verse 27, it says, Simeon was moved by the Spirit, and because of that, he went into the temple courts. I want to park on that phrase just for a moment this morning. He was moved by the Spirit. Some translations, the CSB renders it, he was guided by the Spirit. The Amplified renders it, he was prompted by the Spirit. I believe the ESV renders it, he was carried by the Spirit. But that idea of being moved, being guided, prompted, carried along by the Spirit is powerful. This passage is not saying that Simeon was teleported as though he had nothing to do with this. Some people think that God picked him up and plopped him over the other side. That's not what happened. Nor was this a coincidence that, that, that Simeon happened to be in the temple when, this, uh, when, when Mary and Joseph were in the temple. Neither of those things were true. What happened is that God's sovereign hand and Simeon's spiritual sensitivity met. Those, are, those two things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, faithfulness and the church happen when those two things come in, to connect, come in together. It's all of God and all of you. If it's all of God and none of you, that's passivity and, 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 and uh, abdicating responsibility. But if it's none of God and all of you, that's works. And we know that doesn't work. So the, the church looks like this. All of God and all of you. And so that's what happens here. Um, we see God's sovereign hand and we see Simeon's spiritual sensitivity meet. And whenever that happens, God's plan unfolds. And so if you desire God's plan for your life to unfold, you need to be sensitive and available to God's plan and God's hand of of, of prompting in your life. Don't think that God is going to do it instead of you. He's going to do it through you, which requires you to be available and sensitive to his leading. God is leading and orchestrating events to the degree of the fulfillment of his purposes. And so when you think about being moved by the Spirit, you might be thinking about the emotional or, the, or even the internal spiritual experience that that describes. You might be thinking about worship this morning, and, and as you were singing, your heart was moved. You were moved emotionally, or you were moved spiritually, spiritually towards something. Maybe it was towards God, or, or towards a, a truth about God. And that is absolutely true. On the other hand, your mind, when you hear about and think about being moved by God, you might think about the physical, practical, literally packing up your house and moving somewhere. You might be thinking about the mission field or something like that, literally physically moving somewhere. And that is absolutely true too. What I've discovered is that these two things aren't uh, disconnected. These two things are actually deeply intertwined, that it begins with an internal emotional slash spiritual experience of being moved by God, which then results in a physical change or a physical movement that takes place. I want to give you a few examples. 
God might break your heart over some injustice in the world internally, which would then lead to you being a part of God's response to that very injustice, practically, externally, physically. So there might be something broken in the system. There might be something broken in the world or broken in society. And God first moves your heart. He breaks your heart over that thing. And then as a result of that, he's going to move you towards being God's answer to that injustice. When we separate those two things, you might have a broken heart about something and awaiting God to... I don't know, resolve it on his own. And, and God can does do that. And so, from time to time, God does do that. But God's plan A for the brokenness in the world is us. It's the church. It might be an internal spiritual prompt to share the gospel with somebody moments before getting up out of your seat and starting a conversation. It begins with an internal moving of the Spirit in your heart, in, within your human spirit, which then leads you to physically move to start a conversation with somebody. This could look like God pointing to an area of unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart and then moving you to seek out healing and restoration with that, one, with that person. For Jaslyn and I, it, 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 God had to move us spiritually and move us emotionally before we were ready to move back to Australia. The physical move follows an internal move. For Greg Steer, I mentioned Greg and Dare to Share, uh, which was the last kind of ministry that I'm kind of participating and sharing with. Greg Steer, who founded Dare to Share, it took Greg watching the news about the shooting at Columbine High School before he was ready to train teens to share their faith full-time. So he'd been dabbling with youth ministry but pastoring a church at the same time. But when he saw the shooting at Columbine High School, that broke him. And God broke him and moved his heart. As a result of that, he gave up the pastorship. He, he, he appointed a new pastor to take over the church so that he could commit to training teenagers to share their faith full-time. An internal breaking leads to a physical movement. I want to ask you a few questions to reflect on this. When was the last time that you were moved by the Spirit? How long ago was that? Was it recently? Or do you have to recall way back in the early days to think about the last time God moved you? Is there something that God is breaking your heart over and moving you towards this morning? Is there an injustice in the world? Is there a brokenness in society that God is moving you, breaking you internally in order to move you physically to step into God's purpose to redeem that or heal that injustice in the world? Third question, if God wanted to move you this morning, would he find you movable? Would he find you ready? Would he find you willing to follow God's prompting, to follow God's leading? Would he find your heart sensitive to the Spirit of God? Or would he find your heart stubborn, comfortable, 
maybe with a handbrake on, saying, I'm not going anywhere. I like where I am. If God were to prompt you this morning towards something, would he find your heart ready? Journey through the rest of the passage, the first part of the, of the story is the, is the setup. The second uh, third of the story is the song. And this is, the passage is um, affectionately talked about or referred to as Simeon's song. And, and whether this w- had a chorus line or not, I don't know. But this is a response that Simeon had when he met baby Jesus for the first time. And, and Craig Millowick, uh, who's a pastor in Australia, he says that worship is the, is the response to revelation. Worship is the response to revelation. And Simeon had seen Jesus and responded in worship. I'm gonna read it again for us this morning. Luke 2, 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. I just wanna highlight something really briefly here um, as we move through this from Simeon's song. But I love that phrase, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. We, we understand that this has two parts to it. The first is that this is the, the answer to God's promise to Simeon that he would not die before seeing the Messiah, which is the first part. But the second part is it's almost like he's saying, I can die happy. Now that I've witnessed the Christ, nothing else matters. All of my ambitions, all of my career dreams, all of my selfish ambitions, all of my everything I've worked towards, all of that kind of fades into the background now that I've witnessed the Christ, now that I've met the Messiah, now that I've seen the Savior, everything else blurs into the background. Unfortunately for many of us, Jesus becomes just one of the many stepping stones that we walk through or walk over on the journey of our life rather than being the single greatest discovery we'll ever make. Simeon saw Jesus and nothing else matters. I, I, I can die, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. If, if you have purpose for me, Lord, if you have a work for me to do, I receive that and I'll engage with that, but so is up to me. My life is satisfied. My heart is satisfied. My life is complete now that I've met the Messiah. Is Jesus just one of the stepping stones of, of your life or is he the single greatest revelation of your life? This is what Christmas is all about. At Christmas, we are celebrating the long-awaited arrival of God's Son who would bring salvation to everyone. According to Simeon, if you were to ask him, Simeon, what's the reason for the Christmas season? Simeon would say that it is that the Gentiles would see the light of revelation and that Israel's glory was made manifest in the flesh. That's the reason for the season. The reason for the season, you know, we, we think about, you know, the ba- baby in a manger. That, that's, that's, the, that's the arrival of the message. But the conclusion of this is that the Gentiles would experience the light of revelation. And that the, the, the glory of the people of Israel is now made manifest in flesh, is now incarnate in flesh. Christ is the glory of Israel. And Christ is the light of revelation for the Gentiles. That is the reason for the season. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's phenomenal. 
And lastly, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to see the result of the, what happens when Christ is revealed. What happens when the light is revealed? What happens when, when glory is made manifest in flesh? Well, this is what happens. Uh, in verse 34, it says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The greatest question you can ever ask somebody is what will you do with Jesus? Everything we've covered this morning is really geared for those of us who already know Jesus, have met Jesus, and have come to a saving relationship with Jesus. But I want to look and, and speak to those who are here this morning who may not know where you stand with your Creator. And I want to speak to you. Everything that truly matters in this life comes as a result of how you answer this question. What will you do with Jesus? Will you respect Him? Will you worship Him? Will you tolerate Him? Will you mock him? Will you serve him? Will you try to ignore him? Will you revere him? Will you follow him? Will you scorn him? How you respond to Jesus will determine whether you will rise or whether you will fall. And I have to ask you this morning, what are you gonna do with Jesus and what are you gonna do with your sin? Have you sought forgiveness for the, for the sins of your heart from Jesus this morning? You might be thinking that I, the jury is out. I don't have all the information available to me. I'm still wrestling this through. And I want to quote Dr. George Wald, who was a professor of biology at Harvard, and, and, and he was actually a Nobel Prize winner as well. This is his words. There are only two possible explanations as to how life arose. Spontaneous generation arising to evolution or, the, or a supernatural creative act of God. Either spontaneous generation or the creative act of God. There is no other possibility. Spontaneous generation was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur and others, but that just leaves us with only one other possibility. That life came as a supernatural act of creation by God. And you get this. I can't accept that philosophically because I do not want to believe in God. This is a Harvard professor, a Nobel Prize peace winner, who knows that God is real, that knows that there has to be a creator, that this doesn't make sense if there isn't a savior. This whole thing doesn't make sense unless there is a God. And this man knows it, but he turns away because he doesn't want to believe in God. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, is that because you don't want to believe in God or you don't want there to be a God or because you're just genuinely confused? If you don't want to believe in God, I can't help you. But if you're genuinely seeking, if you're genuinely wondering about the purpose of life, if you're genuinely wondering what this existence is all about, then I would exhort you with every fiber of my being. It is about Jesus. It is about Christ. 
You see, the gospel is incredibly simple. God created you to be with him. But our sin separates us from God. The problem with sin is that it cannot be removed by good deeds. I don't, I don't care how good you are. You're not good enough to undo the bad. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. But the good news is that paying the price for sin, Jesus died and he rose again so that everyone who trusts in him alone will have eternal life. And that life, that eternal life, isn't just fire insurance for, for when you die. That life starts now. That freedom, that purpose, that forgiveness, that life starts now and lasts forever from now into glory, from now into eternity. It's free. It's available. It's, it's, it's available to you this morning. So if you do not know Jesus this morning and God is prompting you and drawing you, I beg you, respond in faith. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. I believe that you came as an infant 2,000 years ago, that Christmas points to a savior, and I trust you that you died on the cross for me and my sin, that you rose again conquering death, conquering the grave, conquering the power of sin over my life, and I trust you, and I trust your blood to purify me completely. Thank you for the life that I now have in you. Thank you for the resurrection life that takes place now. I encourage you to pray a simple prayer in your heart, just saying, yes, thank you, Jesus. There's an unknown quote, or a quote from somebody, I don't know who the author is. It says, judgment will come not in proportion to the sins that we have committed, but in proportion to the light that we have rejected. You have now heard the gospel. It's not about how bad you are. It's about your response to the light. It's your response to the salvation of the gospel. So to close this morning, I just want to recap with three questions from our three kind of three big points. The first one is, are you movable or are you moving? If God were to speak and prompt and, and lead you this morning, would he find your heart ready? Is he breaking your heart internally to move you externally? That may be physically moving country or that may be, may be physically moving across the street to speak with somebody. Second is, if you are a Christian, are you satisfied with Christ alone? Or is Jesus just one of the many kind of goals in your life? Career, family, relationships, or oh, in Jesus? No, no, no. Christ and everything else fades into the background. Is Christ the only thing that satisfies you? Can you be dismissed in peace now that you have found Christ? And lastly, if you don't know Jesus, the greatest question of all is, what will you do with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together as a family. I pray that we would each be encouraged and challenged in you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the life that only you bring. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak that life into our hearts. Lord, if you desire to move us, may we be movable. Lord, as you are revealed to us, may we be satisfied in you. And as we come before you, may we respond in faith and say thank you to Jesus for dying on the cross for us. I thank you for this time this morning. I pray that you continue to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.